Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not to be discouraged. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him, asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a, for a while, he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise there will be no otherwise there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Won't he be slow? Won't will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. But when when the human one comes, will he will he find faithfulness on earth? Thanks, Noah. We all pray with me. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm, I have this growing list of notes on my phone. Uh, maybe you all do too that you never return back to or sometimes you search your phone and you're like, what state of mind was I in? when I was taking these notes, or sometimes these are really cumulative notes over a long season of time. And one um, kind of note in my phone uh, that strikes me as, as pretty simple and kind of profound is uh, I was trying to define what I think ministry is in most simple terms. And after all these very fancy definitions, the one that I, I was most pleased with is that ministry is just God and people. Ministry is just God and people. We see that in Jesus' ministry life. He included words. He included deeds. He included profound acts of healing and profound proclamations that God's kingdom had come and would still come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, this word of God, who was with God in the beginning and who was God made was made flesh and dwelled among us with people, God and people. God with people, some of whom thought they were pretty holy and pretty fancy, some who had been really burned by the church industrial complex of his time. He was with people whose bodies were broken. These are people whose lives had been broken by the same combination of, of death-dealing wages of sin around them and upon them, and also their own captivity to sin. And so Jesus told stories about this life of ministry, he told stories to invite, he told stories to open up a way to see ministry, to see it. 
just like in our lives, not just professional Christians like me, all of us as ministers, to see ministry as the most possible and often the most surprising way to live. I think that's why Jesus told stories. And when he told stories, he just kind of plucked objects around him to say, this is what the kingdom is like. This is what ministry is like. That life as a minister is standing right in the middle of God and people in this good but groaning creation. So Jesus tells stories. And we've been in this long cycle of stories in Luke's gospel. And the story that Noah read, um, the guy in this story, his life apparently and decidedly was not ministry. It said he had no care for people and no fear of God. Ministry's gotten people. (laughs) No care of people. No fear of God. What's left when you eliminate those things from your circle of concern? Well, it's kind of just you, right? This is like a, they say no man is an island. This guy was kind of an island. This is a sad and lonely and small imaginary. It's a kind of life that's always looking for more or locking down what is. It's a life of winners and losers and everyone's kind of a competitor. Not a lot of neighbors in this sort of life. It's a life that's that can latch pretty easily on with ideas of progress or ideas of nostalgia, then it's also kind of a little bit of a nihilistic kind of life. <laughs> I thought of, in this, the John Lennon song, Imagine, right? Like, this kind of life is like that song, Above Us Only Sky, but without imagining all the people. You know, it's, it's not, not much of a song, great melody. It's not really a very imaginative or inspiring or creative way to be. (laughs) When I was reading the story, I wondered, it's kind of like when you're reading a book and you're you're making notes in the margin, and you make the note, and then like four pages later, your concern gets answered by the author who has considered that. And so I wondered, I wondered if this judge considered himself this way, if this was just like a, a label put upon him does not fear God, does not, is not concerned with people. Would the judge in this story self-identify as someone like this? Does he have a placard on his desk that says, I do not fear God and I do not consider people? Well, oftentimes we find out who we are when we encounter someone who is not like us. And into the judge's life steps someone. One commentator considered this certain someone, this widow, a, quote, 24-carat loser. <laughs> that's the point. That's the point of the story. Just get into the story. In this parable of Jesus, starring this cultural loser, a widow, who is someone who has lost her husband, which in turn, mean, in, turn in that culture means she lost her rights, she lost her social standing, she, she kind of lost her future. As a widow, she, she doesn't have a whole lot of intrinsic standing in the community anymore. So she's standing in front of this judge for herself, by herself. She represents herself. She has no kinsman redeemer bringing her case to the magistrate. Let's remember the cycle of parables we're in, this lectionary journey smattered with all these parables of losers, lost seats of honor, lost lives, lost coins, lost sheep, lost sons, lost estates, lost jobs, 
Chapter 17 concludes, whoever tries to preserve their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will gain it. In the messy world that Jesus invites us into, we're always left wondering, where are we in this story? Where's God in this story? What the heck is going on? What is about to get lost now? And how could it be found? I mean, surely Jesus can't be, can't like be trying to imply that God is like this unjust judge who neither fears God nor respects people. That would make God some sort of anti-hero at best and maybe like a monster at worst. This is the kind of God some of your neighbors think about when they think about God. Maybe Jesus is kind of playing with photo negatives here. He's saying, like, if X, Y, and Z, God is X prime, Y prime, Z prime, definitely not that. And so the woman needles, and she needles, and she needles this judge until he ever so pragmatically relents. Not because she's right, not because he agrees with her, not because he even cares about what she's saying, but basically just to shut her up. Jesus can't be serious with all this. It actually kind of sounds borderline blasphemous to talk about God this way. It sounds strange to us to talk about prayer this way. Robert Farrer Capon, one of my favorite parable interpreters, he notes about Jesus and these anti-heroes that pop up in Jesus' stories that Jesus had the luxury of never having been to a theological seminary. <laughs> because he was, he says, he was blessedly free of the professional theologian's fear of using bad people as illustrations of the goodness of God. <laughs> I never heard this joke, but he says, if you go to seminary, you hear a joke uh, you hear a joke at seminary that you go to seminary to learn about the things that God couldn't possibly have done, and then you go to church to ask him to do those things anyway. <laughs> so that's a little bit of what's going on here. So Jesus tells this weird story in an anthology of weird stories, and they have to be weird. If we, like, unweird them, we, we make them, like we defang them to the point of not actually being able to get knocked out by the venom of these stories, right? And this weird story is about prayer. And it's about the woman's ministry of needling. <laughs> the ministry of needling, which we need to take up and we need to learn and we need to emulate. If there's a point to this parable, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure there's always a point. Parables aren't necessarily fables, right? But if there's a point, it is not that this works. Do this. God will listen to your prayers. It's more kind of like, do this, because this kind of dogged, ragged, needling until I'm a horse in blue in the face existence is what it's like to pray without ceasing. If you want to know what it's like to pray without ceasing, look at this woman in this story. In a world of injustice, sin, sorrow, and death, a ministry of needling is a ministry of praying without ceasing. It's not, it's not like an easy button. It's not a life hack, praying like this. 
I, I've, I've heard folks that pray like this, they describe it as like storming the gates of hell. And it's actually not easy at all. It's pretty hard. It's pretty difficult to on purpose not get used to hearing no as definitive. Not get used to nothing change, changing and that being okay. It's pretty demoralizing and faith-shaking to feel like these responses are coming from God when we pray and it seems like nothing happens. A crazy world can make you feel crazy for refusing to play by its rules. It's often way easier to just kind of deal with it than to continue over and over again to resist. So to, to pray continuously is to defy the powers and principalities of this world and to pledge allegiance to the one true God who shows truth and mercy and justice, who is love, who is making all things new. A theologian has said, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of the uprising against the disorder of this world. Something as simple as clasping our hands in prayer is that revolutionary. I started to learn this ministry of needling a little this past summer. Uh, during our sabbatical, we were about five weeks in, and we were experiencing, we were doing summer travel and experiencing rest and celebration. We were learning how to slow down and be with God and each other um, at a pace that was maybe more human than we were running. And we traveled a bit, and we played a <coughs> we played played a lot of summer baseball. In, in early July at a Little League All-Star game, uh, a uh, tournament for a bunch of eight and nine-year-olds, there were automatic rifle shots that came into our field of play. It was really awful. Uh, it was a Sunday morning. I haven't talked a whole lot about this on Sundays because, frankly, I'm kind of getting exhausted and it is exhausting to talk or think about. But all of the rest and all of the margin that God had built in us for those five weeks basically got drained immediately. They just in the span of a few days of trauma and terror and binding together with our little community of loss. No one had lost a life, thank God. Too often when shots like this go into the air, when, when weapons like that are discharged in places like Wilson or even this week in Raleigh on Thursday night, people lose their lives. But our group, we, we lost peace, we lost rest, we lost time. Our kids lost an illusion that this world is a safe place. And in the following weeks and months, it was kind of easy to lose faith in humanity. It, it was easy to lose faith in systems and politics and police and our leaders, and even some people in our neighborhood that we, we thought would hear us. Me and some of the other parents got a, kind of a small but potent dose of what it feels like to keep asking for justice in this world that is pretty dead set against making any changes. Kind of what we're getting is what we're perfectly designed to get right now. Sure, there'd be a lot of hand-wringing, and there's thoughts, and there's prayers next time something like this happens. And friends, it happens weekly. It happens daily in this country and in our neighborhoods. In this case, I, I felt a little bit like this woman, like a, just kind of a loser, 
being gaslit into thinking she was crazy for thinking the world should or could be any different. I'll tell you, friends, I'm not done praying those prayers or knocking on those doors. Um, I've slipped into a, a more sustainable pace. I'm, I'm also in a season of continuing to learn about those things. Because if stopping means giving into a lie that things can't change. It, it, would be, it would be assuming that people can't change or that minds can't change or that God doesn't work, that repentance isn't real, that another world isn't possible, that another, a different future isn't already secured in Jesus, right? It's, it's, it, it's having this vision and this assurance, and this is all like faith and hope and love territory, swords to plowshares, and like, and this is not a new mission. Like Tertullian said in the second century, said when, when Jesus disarmed uh, Peter in the garden, he disarmed each and every one of his followers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm slipping into that stream that's been running, and I'm, I'm learning this ministry of needling. Needling God, needling people. Uh, this mission is also, this ministry is also taking a new shape in this current season. And this is one of those situations um, when in my brief and non-eventful um, running career, uh, <laughs> I, used to, I, I used to put my music on shuffle and it was like the Holy Spirit in iPod shuffle ministry, right? Um, this is kind of the, the Holy Spirit plus Revised Common Lectionary uh, ministry that, that we get this passage in this season because this ministry of needling is taking a new shape in this current season for me, with you, and for you all. We're praying and we're organizing and we're praying some more about the future of this historic facility that we're sitting in as our landlords consider selling it to someone who might level it and build condos right here. So we're taking Jesus at his word that praying continuously might just mean stirring up a little bit of what John Lewis refers to as good trouble. Not to be jerks. Not, not even because we necessarily think we're always right. But because we can trust that God is listening to our cries even if no one else is. That following Jesus means putting our bodies on the line and lending our voices to those who are muted, that, that this can mean acting like the persistent widow who was no, in, the persistent widow was in no position to coerce anyone. She didn't have a whole lot of leverage, but she gave what she had to apply some positive pressure to this judge that created a new and more generative reality. When you do this, this, this is an act of hope. It is an act of vision. It is an act of faith. It reaches beyond the world that is to a world that doesn't yet exist, and it, it brings others with you. I think of uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, who uh, once uh, talked about <laughs> the, the risk of all this, and, and the, the, the risk and the wear and tear that this had on her. And she says, sometimes it seems like to tell the truth today is to, run, is to run the risk of being killed. And she says, but if I fall, I fall five foot four inches towards the fight for freedom, and I'm not backing off. It's just, just forward together, and it's just God, and it's just people. 
I love that Jesus made the hero of the story a, a woman without much more to lose. In her culture and even ours, characters like her today get characterized and they get pegged as hysterical, maybe. You, you might start to think that going on and on and on and speaking your mind like this means like, she doesn't give a care. Actually, it means quite the opposite. It means she cares so very much. So my friends, let us also, these, these, these parables are dangerous. They cut both ways. Let us also have ears to hear in our lives when we in positions of our privilege and our power, maybe even just like the small privileges and power that we enjoy as friends or neighbors or spouses or roommates or parents, when we hear someone needling us, let your ears open. Praying with ceasing is all fun and games until you're the subject line of someone else's prayer, right? <laughs> so take note. Take heed when someone else is praying and playing with house money like this persistent widow is in your world. When they, when they won't leave you alone. Unless they're like under 10 and then just completely press mute on it all, right? <laughs> Not always, but sometimes. Someone else's ministry of needling might hint or reveal our own deficit in fearing God and considering people. We, we might need a refresher. We might need a recalibration. We might need to repent for our lives of ministry, God and people. And the last thing is just this widow's persistence. It was not, her persistence, it, it, was, it was born out of desperation, but it was not really born out of despair. She was already being given everything she needed to knock on all those doors, to tell the truth, to needle the judge to the glory of God, <laughs> even if that judge wouldn't recognize the glory of God if it was standing right in front of him. This kind of persistence is an affirmation of God's fidelity. This sort of persistence is an affirmation of God's fidelity in a world that doesn't always deal in good faith. It means that God will hear. God will give justice. When the Son of Man comes, he will indeed find faithfulness among those who persist in prayer and are so bothered by the things of this world that don't look or act or smell or sound like Jesus that they just can't get over it and they won't stop talking about it. They just won't shut up about it. To persist in this sort of ministry of needling is, is, is to have these psalms of lament coming out of your mouth so much, the, the how long, O oh Lord, and, and to, to see that and to feel that and to cry that until slowly and subtly those laments begin to turn towards praise. We all, we all pray with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for these weird stories.
We give you thanks for your weird kingdom that is among us. We give you thanks for this life of ministry with you and with others. We give you thanks for examples of this ministry of needling, persistence of hope, of courage. Lord, help us pay attention in our lives. Help us pray without ceasing. Help us expand our, our prayer concern, our, our concern for people. Help us expand our fear of you, Lord. We give you thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.